Welcome to the Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast, where we are all about going beyond programs, beyond best practices, and beyond curriculum to recover and learn from our Wesleyan roots and to explore the foundations for small groups that produce disciples of Jesus Christ who in turn disciple others. My name is Scott Hughes, and I am the Director of Adult Discipleship here at Discipleship Ministries. And I'm Steve Manskar, the Director of Wesleyan Leadership at Discipleship Ministries. And in today's episode, I think we are changing it up a little bit. We've had the opportunity to hear from experts, experts like Tom Albin and Steve Manskar, whoever he is. And we've heard from professors, um, Phil Meadows. We've heard, we're going to get to hear from a, what I would consider a small group guru in an upcoming episode. And today we get to hear from a practitioner. We get, we get the opportunity to interview Brad Kalajan, Kalaj, oh, I already butchered, I already butchered Come on, that. you got to get his name right. That's awful. I apologize, Brad. Let me, let me say this, state this again. Brad Kalajanin, and see I'm laughing as I'm saying it, so I'm not getting it right. I, I apologize, Brad. Brad Kalajanin. I said it right that time, I think. I'm sorry, Brad. That's that's awful. Brad is the senior pastor at Cornerstone United Methodist Church in Michigan. And I'm sure we'll get a call from Brad. <laughs> As we should. And we, we'll, we'll, we will correct his name on the next episode of that's right. Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast. That's right. Um, so I had the opportunity to interview Brad, and you're going to, I think everybody's going to enjoy this episode this interview. He is the founding pastor of Cornerstone United Methodist Church. He's been there for 26 years. They have three campuses. They have over 2,500 in attendance and over 60 small groups. Did you say where they are? In Michigan. I forgot where. Is there a town in Michigan? (laughs) Oh, this is bad. (laughs) This is bad. We will look this up. We will have this on the outro as to where, where he is. Yeah. I apologize. I did not write that. Yeah, in my we notes. should tell people where they are if they want we to go visit. That. That's right. We will do that. Um, and Brad wrote in Craig Miller, one of our, our colleagues. He, he wrote an article in one of Craig's teamworks booklets. He wrote an article called "Growing Larger by Acting Smaller," which are all about growing small groups. And the thing that I really liked in this article he wrote was that it's about acting smaller when in our culture too often bigger is better. Mm-hmm. And I think he's exactly right that we are called to, to be smaller when we key in on those smaller groups is where discipleship happens. So that's what piqued my interest about this article he wrote. So you'd say Cornerstone is a church of small groups rather than a church with small groups. I think so. I think that's a fair assessment, um, especially... That's the impression I got listening to the interview. Okay. It's, yeah. it's a major part of the life and mission of that church is uh, to connect, you know, particularly, you know, when a congregation gets as large as they are, yeah, that, you know, to form people in faith requires them to be in relationship with each other. And just showing up for worship on Sunday morning in a big church is not going to do that. That's right. So to, to put a heavy emphasis on connecting people in these very, you know, all kinds of small groups that they offer is a great way of building community and forming people in, in Christian faith. Absolutely. And you can tell there's a real intentionality, that it's not sort of, 
worship, 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 and oh yeah, be in a small group. That small groups are up front right. for them as part of what they're doing. And part of their the culture. other thing, well, we can talk about this in the is that Brad is in a small group. He right. he makes sure that he is always he is in a group with people in the congregation, not not with other pastors, but with people in the congregation. Or in addition to. Yeah. In addition to, yeah. So we'll, we'll stop with our, <laughs> our thoughts. We'll, uh, we'll transition right into the interview. Well, Brad, thank you so much for being with us here on the Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast. I appreciate you taking time out of your, your busy schedule to be with us. Uh, I've heard a lot about you through a mutual friend, and I really appreciate uh, the work that you've done with regard to small groups. Um, Brad is at Cornerstone United Methodist Church and has over over 60 small groups, which I think for a lot of churches just seems mind-boggling to have over 60 small groups. Um, so, Brad, why don't you tell us, how did Cornerstone United Methodist Church get started with small groups? Well, thanks, Scott. Uh, yes, Cornerstone did not actually start with small groups. Um, when, when we launched the church, uh, we just launched worship, basically, and uh, a couple of classes but it was as we grew, um, I remember it very distinctly about uh, when we got to the place of being about 180 people, um, I noticed just a lot of, and I'll, I'll, I'll call it whining, starting to go okay. on. <laughs> Criticism and things. Uh, and I couldn't figure out what was wrong because it seemed to be going so well. And then finally, I'm not sure what the revelation was, but I remember coming to the conclusion that um, we had gotten to a point where people didn't know everyone's name. Interesting. And so we we moved from a one cell church to a multi cell church, I think. And mm -hmm. and then I realized you still need to know some people's names. You don't need to know everyone. And so I began to say that out loud and talk about that from the front. Makes sense. How Makes important sense. that was. And so we formed our first couple of small groups uh, at about two hundred people, and they really. Uh, they really caught on. People had great experiences in them, thankfully. Um, and they, the, the buzz caught on, and they told other people they needed to be in it. Uh, I, I think it's only fair to mention not every small group experience is wonderful, because I remember one of, our, <laughs> one of our early ones as well had a woman in the group that never stopped talking. And mm. And no one knew what to do with her, and no one thought about even talk, telling me about it. I wasn't in the group, and she actually ruined the group. And oh, so wow. a lot of those people didn't want to be part of small groups in the future. And it, as a leader, it really made me develop some teaching around irregular people and how to deal <laughs> with them. You know, <laughs> and not, so not every and not every small group is perfect, and sometimes Very you true. have to experiment a little bit. Very true. Very true. Um, and one of the earlier podcasts we had was called The Trouble with Small Groups. And you're right. When, when people have a bad experience with a small yeah. group, it becomes, oh, well, I've tried that. I, I, you know, I tried that. It didn't work. Oh, yeah. Right. And, and, and that's it can really... damage for years. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. I really encourage leaders to try to deal with irregular people quickly and usually offline if they can, not in front of the group. But that's they that's have helpful. to deal with it. They have to be strong. So it's not worth losing the whole group. Yeah, yeah. I know I found some resources by Cloud and Townsend to be 
pretty helpful absolutely in that regard of, of how to do that appropriately and not not shame anybody and yeah, that's uh, help great. them build them up so as a senior pastor uh, talk a little more about your involvement in small groups and the strategy in which you implement small groups i know that's one of the really helpful things about the booklet that you wrote for us so i'll just kind of leave it that vague in general and let you kind of jump from there yeah my wife's name is Colleen, and she and I, I think, felt from the start that we needed to be part of what we were asking other people to do. Uh, and I believe that about giving and joining groups or whatever the DNA of the church is. And so I would guess we've probably been a part of seven or eight small groups over the 26 years that we've been here. And okay. Uh, okay. we tend to, you know, to get a group going. We don't always lead it. In fact, one oh, of the first, first groups we were a part of, I had a Southern Baptist who had moved to the north to work for Zondervan, the book publishing yeah, company. Okay. And, and Dave had done some uh, lay preaching, and he said, how about if I lead the group and you can uh, just be a participant? And I thought that was a great gift he gave to me. He was a, ter a terrific, caring, shepherd kind of leader. So mm -hmm. he was perfect. Um, we've, so most of the time, we've stuck with a group for three or four years and then felt the call to try to include some more people. And so we started another one. And um, I think for, for us, it was important with our children. We had two children to bring them. And so we tried to find groups that um, maybe had an extra family room in a house. And, okay. and so we brought our kids with us. Uh, for just a real personal thing for us, we have two adopted children from Korea. And at oh. one point, we seemed to attract a lot of different single moms and couples that adopted Asian children. We had 17 children as part of our small group meeting in a different part of the house. Wow, and, wow. and 15 of them were Asian, so they would run through the living room and it was, <laughs> it was just good for our kids to have uh, have that experience as Absolutely. well. So we've, we've always been a part of groups. Um, again, I ha I'm not always the leader. In fact, it's best if you're not the leader, I yeah, think. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm in a group now that um, they're all in their 20s and have babies, and they invited us to be in it. So cool. they're all millennials. Wow, that's it's, great. It's really fun, and one of them is the leader of the group. And so I just get to be a participant and be sort of the, the wise guy in the group, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how does so that come right. out in your preaching? Tell me a little about that. At Cornerstone, groups are, are so much a part of our culture now that has, since we started those ones back in, in the early days, uh, we just talk about it all the time. We intentionally preach about it two or three times a year. Okay. And that's a challenge because we're always looking for the next passage. You know, <laughs> there's some great passages like Acts 2, 42 through 46. I mean, that's an, that's an obvious one. Yeah. Um, we've used... Jesus and the miracle of the healing the guy that uh, was brought to him, let down through the roof. Uh -huh. you know, we've talked about that was a small group. That part of what a small group does is help you get connected with Jesus, Absolutely. and so and so that's what his group did for him that day. And uh, there's healing that happens because of that. So that's a great text. Um, there's a number of other ones, but we try to do that intentionally several times a year. But I love to include, you know, what's important to the church ought to be included constantly as vision in messages. And uh, whether it's groups or, um, Scott, you and I talked about generosity or giving or yeah. instead of just focusing 
always on one thing or another, just working it naturally in his illustrations and sermons. Yeah. Um, I just did that last weekend. We had a, a message on encouragement. And I talked about spiritual encouragement, and I said, this is really what happens in life groups. I mean, I've heard my life group encourage each other with physical illnesses, with mm -hmm. some loss in families, um, encouraging people that were givers uh, just to keep going, being more generous. And I've just heard all kinds of encouragement. And I, and I, I So I added on to that. I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to be in a life group. And yeah. so I would just throwing out more vision for if you're not if you're out there and you're one of the 50 percent not in one let's get going you know that kind of thing so good i like that well <clears throat> the the little book that you've written for us is about starting small groups so, so can you tell us more about uh the strategy in terms of, of launching groups and getting those going well yeah um i think you know for a long time we've bought into model of a of a growing church and a lot of the bigger churches use the the campaign model huh? and that means um for us that means we'll design a series of sermons that maybe a six-week series and then we'll think about it far enough ahead that we have time to write some curriculum for it mm -hmm. in the early days we would borrow other people's you know a rick warren's sermon series or a, maybe an adam hamilton or somebody else's Okay. Um, okay. And use their materials, but now we write our own, and um, and so we'll use the the weeks leading up to that sermon series as time to launch groups, and we'll have signups maybe four weeks in a row and preach on it and talk about it and try to raise the profile and hopefully get new groups started for the campaign. It's not really a campaign, but it's really a six week sermon series. Um, one time we did that with the help of a consultant, and we launched a lot of new groups. And um, when the when the campaign was over, when the six weeks is over, one of the mistakes we made that time was not having the next study ready to go. His groups had formed, and they oh, were okay. they were you know they were they had gelled. So I lost half the groups at the end of that six weeks. Oh wow. But still, uh, I still had half that were new. And so, I mean, so, uh, that's the value of a, of a six-week campaign in the fall or maybe another one in the spring. And you use those as, hey, we're going to get together as a church. We're going to launch some new groups. You just have to be ready by the end of it to have something else to hand off to them and say, don't do this or, you know, keep it going. You, you, I know you really have connected with each other, so... It's not just a class. The emphasis is on the relationships more than the study material almost. So, Yeah, very true. Say that one more time because I think that's yeah. important. I think sometimes we think of groups like another class. And we, right. we understand classes in the Methodist Church. We've been doing those for years. Yeah. <laughs> Sunday school classes, night classes. But a group really is a focus is on, uh, it's on relationships mostly. Yep. And that way, um, and part of that is the learning that might happen in it, because um, I think it is a discipleship tool. Yep. yep. But another big part of that is caring. Um, and a third part, which we're always pushing our groups to do, is missions, so that we actually encourage them to do some mission together. Um, 
you know, whether it's at a local food bank or do something that goes out as a group and do it together. And so you kind of, all three of those things, learning, caring, missions are all part of what a group does. And and then the rest of life just kind of happens around that. But we have found just recently um, some of the cutting edge stuff being talked about in groups across the country right now is instead of just launching groups two big times a year, two campaign times, mm -hmm. just stop with the thought that it has to be 12 people like Jesus had, you know? I mean, I think Jesus probably had the ideal number, but we don't have to start groups of 12. The new thinking is if you find three people that can get together and even just read the Bible together and talk about it, go start a group. Right. You know, you don't have to, uh, it doesn't have to be a certain number. So we're encouraging people to start groups everywhere, coffee shops and homes and restaurants and anywhere they can meet and, and build, build it as they invite people to come. You know, uh, it doesn't have to be all a certain number. It doesn't have, the church doesn't have to have it all organized for you. Lay people can do this. Yeah, that, and that, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, one of, the, one of the things that stuck out to me in the book that, that I really appreciated was your willingness to mention some of your mistakes but one of the other things I heard you stating in the in the booklet was uh, to be flexible, don't over-organize and over-structure. Is that, is that an accurate reflection of, of your thinking? Yeah, I, I guess what I mean by that is you have to have some structure and you have to have some guidelines. Um, but we've had, we've had um, small group leaders in the past, staff leadership that was over-structured. And... Um, had too many rules, mm. and so people people just quietly rebelled and didn't tell them. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I think I think small groups are flexible. I think there's some gray area. It's not. I mean, it's not all black and white. Um, it's slippery. It's ministry that's messy a little bit, and they start and they stop, and you work hard at keeping them going, and something happens in the group, and you, you can't keep your fingers around at all, but you do have to have some pretty good structure. And especially what the group is studying, and what do they use as the learning piece? I think you want some input into that from the church leadership, because people will choose sometimes weird things, and you don't want <laughs> No, <laughs> really? <laughs> I bet some of the teachers even teach weird things, too, sometimes, yeah. don't they? And so you kind of have to keep a handle on uh, some approval process in, in curriculum, I think. But yeah. for the most yeah. part, you turn them loose, you know, <clears throat> well, give them some I, guidelines. Yeah. I like what you're saying in terms of you think of Wesley's uh, discipleship system using small groups. There were the classes and the bands and the societies, and it wasn't like there was a even distribution of numbers in those, right? There were levels of discipleship and you worked your way up through those. So that's, that's what I, at least what I hear from what you're saying is they, they don't have to be uniform, right? And, and that's certainly something Steve and I have talked about is making sure there's a way for people to grow into and grow through their small groups. Yeah. I, guess what, I guess what I'm saying is you can start anywhere. Okay, good. Yeah. I, I think... I think in a like a home group, a life, we call life groups. Um, you know, there are some patterns that seem to work the best. Um, I've been in enough of them over the years. I know that about two hours is a good amount of time. Um, I know that food is a good thing, but you keep it limited <laughs> to about thirty minutes. Yes. 
you know, don't let the group eat for two hours. Um, <laughs> it will happen. <laughs> it will happen, yeah. But, but we'll Methodists will eat, that's right. <laughs> but we've tried to, you know, some some groups try to, let's just not have food. It's too much bother. But there's something good about fellowship that happens over eating something, even if it's just a dessert. But um, about 30 minutes of that and about 90 minutes of some discussion and make sure there's a prayer time in there. Um I think for us, it seems like we always get the groups with the people that have never prayed out loud before. And so, <laughs> Absolutely. I've got those in my group, too, now. They're like, can you do yeah. a study on how to pray out loud? It just <laughs> boggled my mind. <laughs> I have found, I, I, I got a great story of a woman who said, I'll never pray out loud. I'll never, you know, don't ever expect me to. So I remember on one of the first nights, I said, let's just all stand in a circle and hold hands. You don't have to hold hands, but we did. <laughs> and... Um, I said, let's let's all say one thing we're thankful for. And go around and do that, and just put the words "Dear Lord" on the front end of that. <laughs> and so, so one by one, we said, "Dear Lord, I'm thankful for it, whatever." I said, we got finished. I go, now you just prayed out loud. She's like, "Oh, you <laughs> snuck that in on me." And, How uh, dare you, Pastor? Yeah. And then the next week, give them one other sentence to say that they have to come up with, and then put "Dear Lord" on the front of it. You do that every week for a while, and you'll be surprised how people will just start praying out loud. They'll get more comfortable. That woman ended up leading our prayer ministry at church. <laughs> how about that? That's, that's, like, that's like a miracle story. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Don't ever say, I won't ever do this with God <laughs> being present, because somehow he hears those and makes sure that's that right. will happen. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, this has been very helpful. I'm going to give you a chance. Any other wisdom you want to pass on about small groups uh, before we close? I would just say that I think it is the lifeblood of the church. Amen. I don't think I don't think it's an optional program. Yeah. Um, if, if you don't do anything else in your church, try to do worship. Try to have some groups, and try to do some mission. Yeah. It's that key to discipleship uh, and serving and mission are as key as small groups but the learning is necessary the prayer is necessary people need to see god's hands in their life and jesus working in their lives it's a great place to invite non-believers we've had non-believers invited to groups and they can ask questions it can be a safe place um, but it's the lifeblood of the church. It's what the church did. You know, the church didn't have big buildings like I'm sitting in. Right, right. They had homes in the Book of Acts, and and it grew <laughs> fantastically. So we got to get back to find out what was happening in those groups when people really care about each other in a spiritually intimate way. So I think that's a great place to end. Thanks again, Brad, for for the work that you've done there, for writing the booklet on how to how to start small groups. I know it's going to be helpful for so many churches. So so thanks again. Well, Steve, that was the interview with Brad Kalajanin, who is a pastor at Cornerstone United Methodist Church. Looks like in the Grand Rapids area, which is what I was thinking before, but I was too shy to say. So Grand Rapids area we're going to go with, with three campuses. So, so that was Brad. And there's a lot of positives, I think, that we can take away with what Brad is doing there at Cornerstone United Methodist Church. You mentioned how he's a pastor in a small group. Um, and the thing that I liked is that he talked about being intentionally preaching about it twice a year, mm -hmm. then organically fitting it in as necessary. I thought that was 
one of the positives. What are some other of the positives you heard and and what's going on there at Cornerstone United Methodist Church? Well, that it, just that the emphasis on they, they offer all kinds of groups. They meet people yep. where they are. Yep. Which is that's the way to do it. You have to meet people where they are. And then as you meet them where they are, you help them to grow. And that's what they're, that's what they're doing. Um, they, and they're offering a variety of small groups. And like I said in the intro, that that's really in terms of if you want to form people as disciples of just Jesus Christ, s- small groups is a necessary part of necessary. that. Necessary, yep. And they're doing a really good job of getting a significant percentage of the congregation involved in these small groups. Yeah. One of the things that I like that he talked about is starting and stopping small groups is messy. Um, And this was something that that came through in the interview, but also in my time just talking with Brad before and after the interview, um, that I appreciated his willingness to acknowledge uh, when things when he didn't always do things right, and this comes out in the article as well, the little booklet that he's written for us for for annual conference displays, and as a PDF on our website, we'll have a link to that on on our show notes. Um, but that he doesn't pretend to have it all together. That he's you know he he acknowledges they've they've messed some things up, but there's there's things that I like that he he talked about their taster event that he called Life Link together group link as a taster event, uh, getting people together to sort of experience. This is what this will look like. Because I think that's so important for, especially for adults to know this is what's going to happen when you sign up for a small group. That they're, you know, we're not going to sacrifice goats. We're, we're not going <laughs> to ask for you to pray out loud every single time. You know, all those fears that people, you know, as they get into small groups have. And so I like that, that idea of doing that as sort of a launch event to help kick off small groups. Um, other things you heard that were, that were good? I mean, I, I, like, I really like the way he talked about uh, teaching the the group to pray out loud without telling them he was teaching them to pray out loud. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That that was very uh, creative. Yeah. And pastoral. Yes. Of helping people know, you know, pointing out to them that oh, you just prayed out loud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which was a smart way of doing it, as opposed to all right, now here's the three steps for praying out loud. Yeah. Right? Of just because it is something that's easier just done. Um, so yeah, that was that was pretty ingenious. Yeah, good job there, Brad. That was that was good. Um, any other any other positives we want to highlight? Like I said, there's there's several, and we could uh, mention a lot of them. But any others that? Well, the, the other positive is that he they encourage, if I heard this right, that one of the comp- that study prayer and and mission that that mission. Yeah. I think all of the groups are encouraged to be in service in That's some right. way outside the walls of the church. Yes, you mentioned that. Um, and, and that is another essential part of discipleship, yep. is going out and serving um, in, in ways that contribute to the life of the, con- of the neighborhood, that the church needs to be out in the neighborhood serving the people out there and getting to know the people. Yeah. Well, it's not, then the small group isn't just about benefiting the members inside the the group. Right. That it becomes what what they're getting is overflowing out into the community. I know, and and my experience of doing that is sometimes, and and I expect this might be also the experience, you know, 
of people in the church is that thinking that when you start going out that, oh, I'm going to take Jesus out oh, and yeah. introduce these people to Jesus. And what more often, at least this is my experience, is when I get to the homeless shelter or the drop-in center and I'm serving a meal to people who are homeless and living on the margins, I realize, oh, I'm not bringing Jesus mm. to these people. He's already here. <laughs> and I'm meeting them face to face. Yeah. And that that's a powerful experience, transformative experience. It is, which it, it's a subtle but profound shift in thinking when we're going out to encounter Christ who's already there as opposed to something we're bringing that they don't have. Right. Uh, and, and we've talked about doing, and we I know at one point we will do an episode on missional small groups, and so we'll we'll get to that. Well, anything that you would add to what what Steve has done? I know you've got some some thoughts. Well, there. since since we are this is the small group in the Wesleyan Way podcast. Yes, it is. These are, th I have a couple of recommendations for Brad. Yeah, and the small group ministry at at. Um, cornerstone that the first is a rule of life and, and and of course my recommendation is that the general the general rule of discipleship yep. could be the rule of life for the congregation and just to re, to re, remind our listeners the general rule of discipleship is derived from the general rules which is the wesleyan the methodist rule of life um, it's a summary of it in a single statement, which is to witness to Jesus Christ in the world and to follow his teachings through acts of compassion, justice, worship, and devotion under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And when a congregation adopts that general rule as its rule of life, then all the small groups would, and, and every group in the congregation then would be encouraged to shape their life to make sure that each member is f applying this general rule to their daily life. You know, it provides the support and accountability that people need to follow Jesus in the world. And it helps the congregation to be centered on Christ mm -hmm. and not on itself. Yeah. Um, and then the, the second recommendation is, and we didn't really hear in the... There was some talk about leaders and the need for training yeah. leaders. Yeah, he mentioned it. Um, so the the second recommendation to I think strengthen this small group, you know, to to provide a strong foundation, because you need good leaders to do this kind of the small group right. ministry that they're doing, and and I'm sure they have them. Yeah. But a way of assuring a, a solid pipeline yeah, that, that feeds into that system would be small uh, covenant discipleship groups. Because that's, that's the real purpose of covenant discipleship groups is to form the leaders that the congregation needs. Mm. That, and so leaders that could lead, effectively lead small groups. So the, the covenant discipleship groups would be the place where leaders are formed and then supported you know, in their ministry and in their work of leading in the congregation. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll just add one real quick thing, and that is, um, I'm not sure if he said this or not, uh, but I know a lot of pastors say it to me, so I'll kind of add it, add it here, in that when I ask them what's the purpose of their small groups, mm. um, one of the 
most common answers I get is, well, our, our small groups do life together, which sounds pretty good until I sort of dig a little deeper and there's that's as far as it goes, right? And and I would hope that the the aim of the small groups is for maturity and holiness beyond merely just being together. And I know that's not the way people mean that, but that's often the way it, it comes across. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, I think um, thanks again to Brad, Kayla Janin in Grand Rapids. Yes, thank you, Brad. Um, Doing for, a great ministry, and I hope you'll keep in touch with us. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, with that, we want to uh, ask our listeners again to make sure and um, share us on Twitter, on Facebook, leave us an email. You can find our email addresses on our website, which is umcdiscipleship.org. Uh, we also ask you um, leave us a review on iTunes. Um, make sure and do that. That helps others to, to find us. So spread the word. And uh, we look forward to interacting with you um, as much as we can. And so until next time, peace. Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.